Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Four Guys in a Comic. This is Michael, and I'm here with Alex. Hey, Alex, how's it going today, man? Hey, what's up, dude? It's been a whole minute. It has been a minute, or two, or three, or four, or five. Or <laughs> but <laughs> we, we're not counting. You know what? We took a yeah. real need, a well-needed rest. We've had a really busy schedule in the past. You know, every week, a brand new interview with somebody. And as you can go through our previous podcast, you can see we've been pretty busy. And we just needed a little bit of break, just a little bit of time for each one of ourselves to regroup. And here we are back and stronger than ever. And we're ready to have some fun and roll with a few things. No, definitely. But like there's a lot to talk about. There is a lot. You know, there's a lot that we haven't covered in the last few months. But you know what? I don't think we have the time today to cover everything that's been happening. No, definitely so not. I've. I was thinking today, why don't we just go ahead and maybe each bring up uh, maybe something that we're reading, talk a little about it. Maybe we can get the, some of you listeners uh, excited about something that we're excited about. Definitely. So, yeah. yeah. There's a lot going on. Like you said, it's been a few months. There's a lot to talk about. We're not going to talk about it all. Um, we have some, I mean, I'm still, I don't know. It's been a while, you know, I'm still stuck reading Marvel. Like I'm still I as much as it's rough sometimes, I'm still stuck reading Marvel stuff as usual. Uh which is cool. That's cool. Yeah. It but you know, I have to say it's funny because you're still with Marvel, which is awesome because you've been really true to the um company. You know, when we first started this podcast, God, it was been coming on four years now. Four years. You know, yeah. I mean, I was the diehard Marvel. And yep. then I started getting into the image, yep. you know, doing all independent stuff. These days, I swear to God, it's mostly DC. You're just going from one to the what's next? It's going to be something random. It's going to be like Epic Comics, right? Charleston. Valiant. Valiant, right? Or back, or back to Marvel. You know, I've just been cycling through, just kind of going through things. And I kind of found that, you know, Marvel, it's great. It has a lot of great, well-known, established characters. And I felt myself getting a little bit burnt out because it seemed to be the same characters doing the same thing. You know, I moved on to Image, and then with their 21st anniversary stuff, they really pissed me off. And, you know, I uh, <laughs> I pulled everything out of my – I stopped everything in my pull box. Like, you know what? Screw you guys. You screw me, I'll screw you. <laughs> so I won't even get into all that. But lately, it's been DC. And, you know what? I'll talk about one of the things that I've been really into, and that's the new Shazam series. Okay. Uh, uh, have you read any of it yet? No, but you know I like Billy Batson, man. Oh, of course. Who doesn't like yeah, Billy? He's a cool guy. Uh, yes. Oh, God, yeah. He's. Now, I'm, I'm assuming you've seen the movie already, right? Okay, I have not seen the movie. <gasps> really? I Dude. know. Right? Yeah, that's one of those big th- I didn't see Aquaman, and I didn't see Shazam. Holy crap. I'm going to tell you something. Out of, you know, DC movies suck. They suck okay, bad. Yeah. We know that. We yeah. all know that. Everybody knows that. But um, I, to me, you know, the top three movies, number one for me still is the Wonder Woman movie. They right. did an awesome really job good. with that. Gal Gadot did a great job. Mm, she did. But number two is Shazam. Yeah. I am so pleased with how they put that together. And it was just, it was just awesome job. Every, everything about it flowed. It was entertaining. It had every element in the superhero movie that you enjoy. Right. And with, and so kind of with the comic series, it actually the comics came out, I want to say, maybe two months or a month ish um, before the movie came out. But for the most part, the comic series by uh, Johns, he pretty much wrote it as a continuation after the movie. Really? <laughs> yes. So you need all, pretty much it helps you. 
watch the movie first, then pick up the book. Okay. And as of yeah, and as of this recording, there's six issues out right now. And basically, you know, you follow, you know, Billy and his uh, brothers and sisters that you, I guess you can say, yeah. uh, you know, they all share the, the power of Shazam. And they're now trying to figure out what is this power? What is this magic that they're supposed to be guardians of? You know, what are the, the different realms that and do they need protecting? Are they fine? You know, they're trying to understand and figure everything out. And as they're figuring it out. They're getting into trouble and getting into adventures. So with the book, you know, I, so the different things are going on, and we've reintroduced into some of the old characters. And you know, we see Black Adam; he's come in, he's made his appearance. You know, Doctor Silva; he's been in there, and we're trying to really figure out what's going on with these different worlds. You know, right now, two of our characters are in the Wildlands. You know, which is basically animals are the people they're the ones that rule the lands and they've come across two humans and now they want to feed them to the tiger you know it's like what's going on tigers oh my. You know, <laughs> yeah exactly you know we got two of them that are in the fun lands and they're you know be able to escape and trying to figure out the whole story and backstory that's going on you know with with all of that and you got two of them in the game lands which is actually really really cool i can't i want i'm waiting for more storyline for that because basically they have to play video games and as they walk around above their heads is their score you know they have to get a certain score to you know to get points to be able to go to levels and stuff it's really creative it's a really really super fun read i i mean i can't put it down I, i wait every month for the new issue to drop because I want to read more and it's just not coming out fast enough for me. I really truly wish this was one of those DC bi-monthly books where I could pick up every other week. I wish to God it was, but it's not as of yet. Hopefully it will because it's, you know, they haven't done too much with Shazam as they should have in the past. You know, they came out with that one shot earlier in 2019 Mm -hmm. before that. I want to say it's been 2014 since the last time we had a book. Was it like New 52 uh, or something like that? Yeah, well, New 52, they dropped, I want to say it was like three or four issues within the Justice League with Shazam, the Shazam family. But for his own standalone book, it's been it's been a, a minute. You know, it, it's been a while. And I've always been a fan of Shazam since I was a kid watching the old, you know, 1970s. I can't even remember what year the TV show was out. God, I loved it. And yeah, I'm really super excited about it. Super into it. I, I highly recommend it to anybody. If you, especially if you love the movie, you love, you know, those this, this good story writing. That's really what it is. It's just great story writing. And the artist, which uh, it escapes me off the top of my head right now, but the art in it is phenomenal as well. So you got great story, great art, and when you got those two combined, you you have a great book. And this is what you have. And if you, you're the diehard collector that has to have all the covers, well, the nice thing is, is, you know, they come out with the A cover, they come out with a variant B cover, and the variant B cover is actually, they've been doing a really fantastic job, not just with Shazam, but with all the variant B covers throughout DC Universe these days. And other than that, you know, you thought with the movie that have dropped, you know, a whole bunch of number one issues. Well, they didn't. There was the A cover, the B cover, there's no uh, issue with printing. And a blank uh, sketch edition, and that's it for the for the number ones. 
Uh, number four, they came out with a convention special cover, which is really cool. It has a nice uh, glossy foil cover to it. But other than that, that's it. I mean, I loved it so much that actually I have two copies now. I have a reading copy, and I have my CGC 9.8 collection going. Jeez, man. Yes. A whole so I'm collection. Getting, yes, I'm getting the entire series, every variant, every cover, everything uh, graded 9.8. And how so, long are you now? Well, there's six issues that dropped. Yeah, and I still... I still need to submit issue, um, both covers for issues five and six. Everything else, I uh, will. I need to submit them, and I currently have um, for grading at CGC right now issues. Let's see, number one second printing, number two second printing, and both number fours and both number fives. No, both number fours. I got to submit the fives and sixes. That's right. So I have everything. And I've been very fortunate, knock on wood, with everything I've been submitting coming back as 9.8s. I have really need to figured out the formula for what I need to pick from the, off the newsstand to submit now. <laughs> you know what? It's wild that it's, it's still – and I know it's like a processing and shipping thing to the store and how it hand comes out of the box and everything else. Mm-hmm. But the fact that you can buy a comic off of the comic shelf, like you said, and just send mm-hmm. it straight to CGC and still get a 9.8. It's kind of mind-boggling. It is. It is. And that's what makes it so much the more – what's the word I'm looking for? Self-gratifying because, hey, I was the one that picked this off the shelf where other hands have touched it, and I submitted it, and it came back as a (laughs) 9.8. That's crazy. So I got to ask this then. Um, Uh I know on, like, CGC's, like, database, you can see, like, other people that have graded copies of the issues. Yes. Are you Uh the only one with all of these? Like, are you the only person on there that has, like, 9.8? This, well, this is what pisses me off. They have their, uh, whatchamacallit, their um, uh, registry awards coming out Mm -hmm. uh, in June, typically the end of June, and they're going to be doing the final uh, uh, what do what do I say? A review of everything on this, basically yesterday, as this podcast is podcast has dropped, and they had and I've requested back on April eighth. God, I even remember the day, April eighth. I requested them to create this set within the registry, and to this date, they still have not created it for me. So it doesn't exist in the registry. Oh wow! So there's so, but once yes, yes. So once they create it. I can guarantee you I will have I will be number one on there. Just like I'm number one for Wonder Woman Volume Five Rebirth nine point eight. Yeah. Nobody can even touch me anymore. So you're running the monopoly on nine point eights over here, basically. For Wonder Woman and Shazam, I am. I am. And I'm proud of that. That's cool, dude. I mean that's really are you you're yeah. not collecting any older comics still now? Oh, I still collect some of the old stuff. You know, I collect all the you know, basically, I'm into the 50s and early 60s Wonder Womans. I'm working, of course, still my Fantastic Four. Been working on uh, basically some of the first, oh my gosh, first 60 issues of Daredevil, and I only have five issues left of Sergeant Fury that I need to find or replace. No, when did you start collecting Daredevil? I don't remember you ever mentioning that before. I've had it. It just. I guess I never really bought it up. <laughs> I mean, that's a cool series to collect, man. I'm oh, it is. Really, it especially, is. Especially, you know, 
I'm a fan of the yellow costume. So like all of the really yeah. early issues are super, yes. super, super cool covers and stuff. And I'm just yeah, no, they are cool. They really are. But uh, yeah, if you go to CGC's registry, look for the name Stephen Trevor or Steve Trevor. <laughs> That's the name I use. You can see the my my one woman collection is not is not only the number one in there, but I also have worked really hard to try to win the award this year to have the best presented set within the entire registry. And I have every little detail you could possibly imagine for every issue inside of it. I mean everything i have my personal synopsis to writers artists editors you name it everything and nobody else has put that much effort into it so, so we're gonna we will see, see. if uh, what's what is your secret identity against steve trevor steve trevor steve trevor it, it fit for you know for wonder woman collecting <laughs> yeah i was gonna say man you revealed your secret identity to everybody now we need to get yeah. a new one right so now it's you're going to be Trevor Steve and yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's, that's, that's what I got going on. Like I say hey, out there, if you're listening, please pick up Shazam. You're going to love it. Six issues as of this date, they're quick, fun reads that you really, really, truly enjoy. Very so, cool. yeah. So what do you got going on? What have you been reading? Okay. In so the Marvel universe. <laughs> there's, you know, I, I read a bunch of stuff in Marvel. And with what's going on now, you have your War of Realms, which I'm not really keeping up with. You have this new mm-hmm. X-Men, like, what is it? Um, House of X and uh, whatever X. All the John Hickman stuff that's going on. This time. Mm-hmm. You have Absolute Carnage coming up. So all the Venom stuff leading up with Donny Kate. There's a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. going on in Marvel right now. It's kind of crazy. But... I'm not going to bore you with everything because a lot of it's not super great. Some of it's good. It's the same old, same old, you know, you hear from Marvel, you know? Yeah, same. Not, not much has changed. Uh, but you still Quickly put out an issue and fill the shelves. Yeah, basically. But you, you get your, you know, your good stories here and there, your diamonds in the rough and whatnot, you know? They're constantly changing creative teams and stuff. So you, you get something, a new flavor often, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Um, but... I'm, what I'm going to talk about is just because it seems like it's a big deal. It's coming up soon. It's going to be super relevant. Um, is the whole X-Men thing going on right now. So, you know, mm-hmm. as you know, I've always diehard X-Men fan. Always been yes. through, through. Um, I've been reading consistently X-Men since 2012 or something like that. Uh-huh. You know, uh, it, it's so I'm super caught up on everything X-Men, basically. But um, what I want to talk about is the uh, build-up to this X-Men event with John Hickman uh, this uh, this summer. It's John Hickman and Pepe Larraz on, like, I think, I don't know if it's... Whoa, 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 back up. Pepe Larraz is on this? Yeah, dude, he's one of oh, our... Oh, dude, he's one of our first interviews, too. Yeah, he is. And, you know, <coughs> X-Men art is great. He's had, a, like, a little bit here and there and random issues stuff. It is all fantastic. That dude has improved so much. Yes, I love his work. Love it. Yeah, no, he is. He's something. He's something out there. He's low key under the radar. You don't hear many people talk about Pepe Larraz, but his stuff is really mm. good. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, leading up to it, now we have this whole new Uncanny X Men uh, series that's going on, which is rumored to end soon when this whole new event mm-hmm. starts with Hickman. But um, last Marvel or X Men event was Age of X, which is like this age of apocalypse world but with um nate gray instead of apocalypse apocalypse plays Mm -hmm. like this uh 
almost like a civil rights activist that's like evil. I don't know how to describe it. He's like peace and mm-hmm. love and free will and stuff. And that's the, the man, you know what I mean? So yeah, it, it's a weird thing. But in Uncanny X-Men, it's actually the story of what's going on in the X-Men in the regular 616 Marvel Universe instead of this weird Age of X universe. And mm-hmm. um, it's a revived un, it's a revived X-Men team. Charles Xavier's still dead. Um, a bunch of people have died, like Guido. Um, uh, shoot. Uh, in the more recent issues, sorry, spoiler, Wolfsbane dies. Uh, uh, Jono uh, Chamber dies. Bunch of smaller people or whatever, right? But um, uh, Cyclops comes forward, comes back because of young Nate Gray, because there's a young Cable that killed old Cable now. Mm -hmm. Um, And him and Cyclops, you know, they get things back in order. They watch this whole Age of X thing unfold. Cyclops, like, thinks that everyone in the X-Men is dead, and he's like, I'm going to make my own version of X-Men. So he goes and finds, runs into Wolverine, like the real Wolverine. Logan comes back. And then there's Chamber, there's Dark Beast is in this group, a bunch of really weird people. Madrix, Multiple Man is in this group, like a mm. bunch of really weird group of people. And it's just like the buildup so far of they're working out of the back of a bar. Like it, it really feels gritty and kind of dark. Um, and they just have this whole story about Cyclops trying to keep everyone together. He's trying to rebuild his reputation. They don't know what happened to the other X-Men. They think that they're all dead, like, you know, Storm, Magneto, the regular group of X-Men. The Brotherhood of Evil Mutants shows back up. Morlock shows back up. Um, You even have uh, the Marauders that pop back up, and they slam a whole, like, group of um, underground mutants, kind of like Mutant Massacre back in the day. They even have Mm -hmm. a whole little story thing for that. And... It's just this crazy, like, I can really feel like the throwback. They're not going for that 90s feel that everyone's trying to get the nostalgic out of it. It feels like they're going back a little bit further to, like, 80s kind of feels and stuff. Yeah. And overall, the art is really good. Storytelling's pretty cool. Um, I haven't really kept up with Age of X a whole, whole lot, um, and I haven't heard many good things about it. Um, but uh, Uncanny X-Men right now, it's actually pretty good. The art is really well done, and it's something kind of refreshing and a little bit different uh, for X-Men right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big thing that we learned in the last issue, and I think it's like really the last big issue to until we get into our event this summer from Hickman, is um, you find out that uh, Juggernaut recently joins the X-Men team again, which is... Weird. Oh, really? Yeah, which is cool. But they he brings up, because he's not a mutant, and he wasn't, like, a good guy for a long time before this, he brings up, like, this list that Scott has of, like, people he wants to take down, basically. Because mm-hmm. everyone is against the mutants now. There's mutant, like, discriminatory laws now where, like, it's it's just, like, a shit show for the mutants right now. Like, yeah. they, they are not welcome anywhere, literally. Like, there's super extreme bigotry, whatever you want to call it, towards the X-Men right now. I don't, you know, and... <laughs> I, it's Do they have to drink out of their own water fountain? And it's what it feels like, you know? Like, seriously, they're stuck living out of the back of a basement and hiding in a bar, basically, you know? And um, it, it's just kind of cool to see this big, like, you know, buildup. But like I said, Juggernaut joins the team. He's like, why isn't Emma Frost on your list of bad people you want to talk to, right? And uh, 
they act like they don't know who the hell Emma Frost is. So now I'm starting to think, you know, okay, Emma Frost is doing something here. She's going to have a big part. And I guess this event this summer, Mystique's working with her. And mm-hmm. it sounds like a lot of throwback or normal, depending on how much X-Men you read. Uh, X-Men <coughs> going on. But um, it has it gives me a little bit of high hopes for this event this summer. There's a, there's a lot going on, a lot of cool characters. Uh, just seeing Juggernaut and Dark Beast on the Ekman team is weird enough to you know be like okay. And then also, I don't know if this will interest you or not, but um, Mister Sinister was the bad guy in the last issue. So oh really? Seeing him in a whole while. Yeah, really. Back yeah. up. So we'll see what. So happens. what's 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 Pyro up to these days? He was on the like I said, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. He was hanging out with who he thought was Magneto, but it wasn't Magneto. It was Joseph, if you remember the clone of Magneto. No, no, I don't remember that. He was a 90s character. Okay, that's why. And he was a good guy X-Men for a while when Magneto was still bad in the 90s. And uh, he said he wanted to keep focus on the mutant dream. So he imitated Magneto, reformed the Brotherhood of Mutants. And then got caught, and then that's when Juggernaut was like, no one lies to me, and I'm going to join the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you think Hickman will shake up uh, this event like he did with the Captain America event? I, I think something's going to happen. Charles Xavier's back, or whatever, in this mm-hmm. event. Um, it's supposed to be basically erasing everything in the past few years, but we've heard uh-huh. that before. We'll see how that happens. And uh, it's supposed to be a really big shakeup from what I heard. Uh, there's supposed to be an entirely different X-Men feel and direction after this event, supposedly. So, yeah, we'll see Charles stand up out of his wheelchair and start walking around Helen Hydra. Uh, yeah, right. So, uh, <laughs> on the covers of those new X-Men Hickman stuff, it shows Charles walking around looking like the maker with a helmet really? on his head that has like an X. And huh. It's weird. It's weird. It really is. So I'm kind of curious as to... What that's going to be about. What direction they'll take. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So it's going to be a typical crossover, I'm assuming, with the you know six-issue storyline with about uh, what, 100 different uh, stories crossing over the different uh, issues. Yeah. Yeah. That basically, yeah. you know. But it's gonna, yeah. I feel like it's going to be a regular. But, you know, like we said, Hickman's a big name. Um, yep. Know, he hasn't been on X-Men in a long time. His last X-Men stuff wasn't bad, so let's see what he can do. We'll see if he changes up a little bit. Mm-hmm. The art hasn't been disappointing. You know how back in the day I used to complain about the X-Men art all the time? Yeah. It has not been disappointing. So That's good. That's already a good change in the right direction. I just hope they can bring it back to an 80s feel. I, 80s X-Men was my – and late 70s was my favorite X-Men period. Oh, yeah, dude. That was like everyone's yeah. jam back in the day. Yeah, it was. that was just the best. The best. No. I couldn't stand the '90s. I don't know. I'm I'm sure somebody in there is yelling at me over the phone right now, but I just can't get into '90s X-Men. I mean, it was you had to have your taste. If it, and you know what the thing is, and people may shit on me for this a little bit, but uh, it was only early '90s X-Men. Late '90s X-Men was horrible. Okay, and I don't want anyone. To, you can argue with me until you're blue in the face. Late '90s X-Men was bad. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was. I want to bring up one more thing, just because I know you like uh, your DC stuff. I don't know if you've been keeping up with Batman at all, but did you hear about like Tom King and all that? No, I haven't been keeping up with Batman at all, to tell you the truth. I've been meaning to dive into it, and I'll be honest, I just haven't gotten around to it. <laughs> you know, it kind of feels like in the DC world that Batman's usually, you know, the talk of the town for the most part. Yeah. But uh, they're getting up there now in these runs. Tom King was supposed to go into like issue 100. They're going to 
I guess kick him off in the eighties somewhere. I, I don't know. Yeah. Issue number. Um, but oh, did do you have, you said you didn't, did you read any of Tom King's run on it? I mean, it was like a huge deal with his old marriage to Catwoman and all that stuff. I read that one particular issue and, and I, I basically, I stopped because I was like, Oh no, I really want to read this whole stuff. And you know, I just, I just haven't, mm-hmm. you know, was it maybe like a month or so ago? I went ahead and I, you know, I caught up from issue one to current on Aquaman, okay. which I have to say, I really enjoyed that. That was a, it was really well done, but yeah, I, I need to get to the Batman. I, I know it. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. That's how I feel about this whole, um, like, uh, war of realms thing or whatever. I haven't been keeping mm-hmm. up with the Marvel event at all. People have told me that it's pretty good, but I've never been like a huge Thor fan to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's like a, supposedly it's like a mix of Thor and Conan and they did this whole like red carpet treatment for the new Conan issues and stuff, which were actually Really good. The Alex Ross covers for Savage Sword of Conan. Were I've seen those covers. They yeah, they really, were really good. Um, I, I even I wasn't reading the series, but I actually bought one or two of the covers just because I liked was, the covers yeah. that much. And I, I I don't know what it is. It seems like within the last year, variant covers have just skyrocketed in how well they've been doing. The I mean, it's gone up. It, it's it's amazing. You know, before, okay, you know, they have the variant covers. Okay, yeah, okay, do I need it? Do I not need it? Now you feel like you need them all because the art is just amazing. Right. And it's, and I'm not talking just Marvel, but DC, you know, both of them, they're just doing it right with these variants. And they're just beautiful, absolutely beautiful art. You know, I, you know me, I love great arts on covers. And it's just so hard for me sometimes to say, oh, do I really need to spend the money on that one? When... <laughs> So. Yeah, it's like those deceased covers from DC right now. Like all mm-hmm. the really like the painted, like it looks kind of hyper realistic in some ways and whatnot. Yeah, but the deceased covers are really cool, dude. I'm not reading mm-hmm. it or anything. I haven't heard much about it. It's kind of surprising because you know I have my you, we have our friends or whatever that we talk to online that are like it's only DC diehard, you know whatever. Yes, I'm still yeah. not hearing a whole lot from them even about these deceased like books. But yeah, know, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of collectors saying I'm buying the cover for it and stuff. Yeah, but it's one of those things, like you said, variants right now, they, their quality's gone up a lot lately. And I know they like, have two, three years ago, and it still happens. There's still moments when they're guilty of it. When like Uncanny X Men one comes out, and you have 58 different variant covers, you know, or whatever. Yeah, but lately, uh, they've been moderate. Yeah, yeah, and then that's the thing too. I've noticed. You know, the improvement in the B cover for the variant, and they just, and that's pretty much it. You don't see a whole lot of them. I think they finally realized that we don't like to have a whole bunch of variants. Just give us one really good one, mm-hmm. and we'll pick it up, which is what we've been doing. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. And, uh, you know, like I said, I'm excited to see what happens all that. Hopefully, they keep the trend going. Um uh, <laughs> I I mean they're not overkilling it with like Fantastic Four like I thought they would. Uh, I really thought that was going to get blown more than what they did. Yeah, yeah, no. And then uh, have you been keeping up with Fantastic Four? I haven't been keeping up like I should. Tell you the truth, <laughs> I'm gonna be honest with you. Okay, I've been reading through it. Um, and I've, I th- I'm pretty much up to speed on everything. I think maybe one or two issues behind or something like that. And it's mm-hmm. just the War of Realms times that. Yeah, and. Um, Fantastic Four isn't wowing me like I thought it would. I'm going to be honest with you. 
It, I mean, it's cool, and I like I love Dan Slott, you know, mm-hmm. but it's just so far it hasn't just pulled me in. I'm not like I like whenever I get a new issue of it, it mm-hmm. usually goes near the bottom of my read list, like when I put yeah. an order of what I want to read. And I, I understand exactly what you're saying because that's probably one of the reasons why I haven't been on it like I should because I had such high, high expectations. I said my expectations too high. And then when you start reading, it's like, oh, this is what I got. Yeah. 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 But um, beyond Fantastic Four, you know, you have your Venoms going on right now. Are you uh, – you're not reading anything Marvel you said currently, right? Well, I can't say I'm not. You know, there's been the occasion like the FF and a few odds and ends here and there. But, you know, it's what I – what in the chat rooms, if I hear somebody talk about something, I'm like, okay, let me go to – Read comics online and see what yeah. <laughs> see what's a, what it's about. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. So, uh, you know, we're like thirty minutes into this, and I want to bring up like one more really good topic. Just be between you because we haven't had an inter like we haven't chatted in a while. But uh, mm-hmm. between our interviews and stuff, and I know it's been a few months now. I don't want to get in too much detail about it. But uh, what did you think? of avengers i knew you're gonna bring that up yeah. holy shit man i'm telling you i i loved it i really yeah. did love it um i'm i'm so glad they killed off okay i'm giving spoilers i don't I mean, care if anybody's seen it or not months. if you haven't seen it you're one of the very very people in the world so yeah yeah i mean you think everybody's seen seen it by now and at least shazam but yeah. um oh. <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> no yeah i mean i'm so glad they killed off uh, Iron Man. I, I never liked the character. I did not like Robert. I've never really truly liked Robert Downey Jr. Unpopular I, opinion right there. Man. Yeah, I know. And I didn't like his portrayal of Iron Man from the comics. And if they're going to kill anybody off, great. I think that was a perfect choice. I really enjoyed what they did with um, uh, Captain America, you know, letting him have his big sense life. Kind of yeah, yeah. You know, be able to enjoy life with the, the love of his life. That was very well put together. Um, a few things in there didn't quite make sense to me. Is basically like at the end of it, you know, he had to return, you know, all the uh, stones back to the point where he got them from. Okay, let's say first off, the the one that he that he took from in the seventies. How is he going to re- replicate that back into the cosmic cube? Yeah, no, definitely. Okay, it's like okay, how are he doing that? And then let's say about the soul stone. Since he's returning the Soul Stone, does he get a refund and he gets Black Widow back? Yeah, right. You throw the stone <laughs> back in there. I don't want it, right? Yeah. No, seriously. Uh, I mean, think about that. I mean, is that a way for her to come back? I also want to see the interaction between him and Red Skull. In that yes, exactly. That, that's the other thing I want to bring up because he goes back there. Obviously, he's going to see Red Skull and there's going to be some kind of dialogue going on there. Mm-hmm. You know, what's going to happen with that? Uh, then let's say the stone that for Peter to find, how does he know to set back up the, uh, which call it the force field that's around it, mm-hmm. you know, because you know, cap, he can't do all that techno stuff. So there's, there's some, some questions. There's some weird. Also uh, the whole, uh, Loki situation, wherever they lost the stone to Loki. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you fix that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
you know, there was those things. Um, what else was I going to bring up? Uh, I was very disappointed. I can, I will say with how they treated, you know, black widow, they, they put such a big thing about Tony dying and his, you know, ceremony. They should have given, you know, Natasha a little bit more credit and love at the end of the movie. Well, I think that she's going to come back in some way. They want to do that whole, um, what is it, the prequel movie, Black Widow yes. movie or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, and maybe, it may just be yeah. time to give her to, like, go and film that. You know what I mean? And yeah. Later on, they send, like, someone like Adam Warlock into the Soul World to pull Natasha mm-hmm. and Gamora out, you know? Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, what else I was going to mention on? Um Nice little, you know, there's a lot of little hidden things in there that they pull from from all the different movies. You know, like at the end, you know, Tony's Morgan, she's like, I want a cheeseburger, you know, going back to the first Iron Man. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a nice little touch with that. Uh, God, what was it? There was the, during, I think it was the, there was one part of the movie, it was where he was dying, you could hear a hammer in the background, which is basically um, resonating from the first movie when he was using the hammer to make a suit. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'd say one of the big moments for me was Captain America picking up the hammer in one hand, shield in the other, and Thor is like, "I knew it." Yeah, right? <laughs> you know, that was just like a get up, stand and cheer moment. It was just awesome, um, and. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can keep talking. What about you? What were some of the th- uh, highlights for you about it? Yeah, so, like, when it came down to the movie, I, I, there was a mm-hmm. bunch of different little things in it that I thought were uh, really, really cool. Uh, but there were some things in it, too, like you said, that didn't make sense. Time travel and stuff didn't really make sense and all that. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things at the beginning that really bugged me is how they just flew in on Thanos and, whoops, basically, they jumped him in his own home and he just like took it and like i know he was beaten down he had like half the face and everything uh but it was just like really it shouldn't have gone down that way he shouldn't have just been beaten that that we could have had a more Mm -hmm. epic fight than that yes especially with captain marvel being there and everything Mm -hmm. that went totally different and it really should have and then you know beyond that and everything i thought it was a little weird i guess that uh they brought Gabora from the past back, and then they brought mm-hmm. Nebula from the past forward, and then Nebula killed herself, basically. Yeah. And then at the end of the movie, you're like, does that mean Gamora goes away because Nebula went away? Or what is the deal here? It's like, I mean, Gamora wasn't at the funeral, I guess. But they all yeah. sent back, I guess, with everyone else? Is no, from my understanding, no, for the, the way I interpreted it was... You know, they are still there in that timeline. It's just Gamora, it's a different Gamora. She didn't have the interaction or with the, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. yeah, and so she doesn't know who Iron Man is. She can care less about going to his funeral right. or being there to support the Guardians of the Galaxy because she doesn't even know who they are. Right. So that was my interpretation of why she wasn't there. There's a lot of questions left unanswered with this whole thing. In there, there is. So, going back to some more of the positives of the movie, though, and some little like end things in it or whatever. Uh, 
What if I did you see Howard the Duck in it and like the Ravagers and everyone else yes. popped up in that? I thought that was yeah. really cool that they did that. And they brought like all these different people back that you just randomly, even if it's for one scene, you bring them back and you see everybody coming out of the portal. No, really, really, they pretty much bought brought back a small cameo of everybody from every movie. This is a few exceptions of a few people that went up there, but for the most part, they were all there. Yep. Yep. Nope. Uh, overall, I really think they did a really good job with this movie. I'm going to mm-hmm. be honest with you. I kind of liked um, Infinity War a little bit better. Just a little bit better than this. Okay. I don't know what you're... What would you think? Did you like Infinity War better or did you like Endgame better? I liked Endgame better. Did you? What, yeah, what I mean... Did you like more about it? Well, to me, it's kind of hard to say because to me, it's just one big movie. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty much how I look at it. it. Really, it's just one big movie that was... You know, with a big long intermission. <laughs> Very <laughs> you know? true. Yeah, that's pretty much how I see it. But I think, I think the first movie, I pretty much we, we already knew what was going to happen. Right. We we knew he was going to snap the fingers. We knew we were going to get to that point. We didn't necessarily know exactly how they would do it compared to the comics. So there wasn't as much a surprise in it as you know, the end game had. Right. So for me, I enjoyed end game more because I had, there's no comic book reference. There's no history. There's absolutely nothing for me to draw on. So everything was fresh and new and a surprise, you know, you know, a few little things here and there. He's like, Oh, cool. You know, Thanos is a suit is a scarecrow, just like in the comic series, you know, things like that. But other than that, the storyline, I had no clue what they're going to do other than we knew it was going to be time travel because it was the only thing that would make sense. Yeah. And But how they're going to do that, I didn't know. I never I, – I, yeah. So that's why I enjoyed the second one a little bit more because there was nothing for me to draw on to make assumptions and guess of what was going to happen. Very much. I, and I can agree with that. Uh, you know, everyone went in with their – as comic fans we all go into that second movie with all these preconceived notions and, and it really mm-hmm. just kind of avoided everything like it yeah. was beyond my it was a big surprise for mm-hmm. most of almost all of it everything that i thought going into the movie might happen mm-hmm. didn't really happen so that was yeah that was a good thing because then it seems fresh and new and you know mm-hmm. yeah, they did a good job with it they really did so um before we go into our interview i'm gonna ask one more thing from you. What do you think is the future for the Marvel movie universe after Endgame? Do you think it's a lot of people are speculating, oh, maybe it'll be Kang. Oh, you know, maybe it'll be uh, who knows? Uh, Galactus, Dr. Doom, that, somebody who, who do you think I, is going to be the next big bad? I think the next big bad boy is going to be Galactus. I think what we're seeing leading into that is going to be more of the Guardians of the Galaxy Nova Corps. Adam Warlock, Silver Surfer. Yeah. Uh, we're going to see a lot of Krees. I, I, I got that. My gut says we're going to see a lot more of that, you know, especially with Captain Marvel. We're gonna see, of course, we're going to see a lot more Captain Marvel in there. Um, but I think it's all going to be off the Earth in the um, galaxy base storylines. Yeah, no, they have you that know. whole Eternals thing that's going to be coming yep. soon, too. So, mm-hmm. so you're going to see Thor with the Guardians of the Galaxy. I think we're going to see Beta Ray uh, Bill become coming up. I think we're going to be seeing uh, Nova. I'm curious whether which Nova is going to be. Is it going to be Rich Ryder or is it going to be Sam Alexander? I hope for Rich Ryder, but my gut tells me it's going to be Sam Alexander. 
of obviously Warlock will eventually be coming up because we had that little spoiler in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, I think it was. It was Guardians 2, correct. <laughs> yep. So that is where I'm leading towards, you know, the next wave of all of it. It seems like it'll be a good time. And like yeah. you said, I think it's going to be Galactus. I think the reason why I bring up Kang is just because of uh, at the in the funeral scene with Tony Stark, we see that kid that he helped out or whatever. Yes. And if he becomes Iron Lad, he will eventually mm-hmm. travel and become Kang. So, yes. Yeah. Which would make sense, too. Yep. Uh, oh, the other thing I was going to su- suggest is also, like I mentioned, Silver Surfer. That being said, I am hoping that we'll also see FF make their appearance um, f- throughout the, the, the next venture of Marvel. Now that they have the rights to it, I think that's a possibility. Yeah, I think they're going to hold off on X-Men and focus on Fantastic Four first. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Because X-Men, you know, even though they have uh, Phoenix, Dark Rising... They, they, we need more time to get those older movies out of our head. Right. right. And, you know. and if they did do an X-Men thing, I could see them doing like a Deadpool movie first and then just many X-Men in the background, uh-huh. you know, and just kind of like getting the names <coughs> out there and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, yeah, you know, Fantastic Four is going to take priority. Yep. And um, what else was it? The uh, uh, Secret Wars. Yeah. I can see a Secret Wars storyline somehow involved into it as well. Oh, definitely. As soon as they introduce Galactus and a Dark Doctor mm-hmm. Doom, I think it's like off to the races with Beyonder and that whole situation that involves yeah. Battle World and everything else, Secret Wars. And I, I can say, not only that, but um, do you remember the uh, issues they have had out where it was, what did they call it? What if Deadpool was in Secret Wars? Yeah. Yeah, they did the I, whole black suit thing. Deadpool yep. Secret Wars. I, I, I see them making a movie about that. I can with, see that. With, I, I really could because Daredevil is just, I mean, Daredevil. Uh, um, Deadpool. Deadpool, thank you. <laughs> he is just an awesome uh, story. His movies are just great. Uh, Reynolds does, does an awesome job. You want more. Yeah, I heard that Marvel is already looking into Daredevil 3. I mean, not Daredevil. I did it. I got you going, didn't I? (laughs) I heard that Marvel's already looking into Deadpool 3 anyway. Uh And so they will introduce him somehow first into the universe from what I'm told. Um, I saw a fun fan theory where they were saying maybe they should introduce Deadpool as Noob Master 69 from the Thor (laughs) video game scene. Uh And I was like, oh, that'd be fun. You know, that'd be fun. But there's all kinds of different things. I even heard a rumor the other day that John Cena was on set for Deadpool 3. So John Cena. Okay, I I I can see that. I can see that. I can see that. I don't know who he would play, but I could see it happening. So, yep. Oh, you probably play himself would be my guess. Yeah, right. Deadpool, uh, Ryan Reynolds, one big parody of real life. So I wouldn't, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. But I, yeah. I, I'm excited to see what's going to happen with this new Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Now, if we can only get DC to follow suit and start doing what the Marvel, what the MCU has been doing, you know, it would be wonderful because I'm telling you, DC needs to completely scrap everything they've done, start off fresh again. You know, I have, I still tell you, I have really, really, truly high hopes for, you know, Wonder Woman 1985. I, I, I just do. I just really hope they don't disappoint me like they have with some of the previous <laughs> movies they've done. You know, and the, the, the casting for the new Batman. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my God, really? It's like, yeah, I'm just like, come on, guys. You know, haven't you learned anything from the MCU yet? 
<laughs> they should need somebody. They need to fix their continuity. They, I wish. I, I, it kind of sucks that they keep getting screwed out of different things. They can't get their their shit together. Basically, mm-hmm. the whole man thing, or not man, the whole swamp thing situation yeah. that's going on right now, where they made ten issues and they had tax issues with the state and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's ridiculous. They're canceling, I guess, the whole streaming service for DC now. Yeah, I'm I'm really pissed about that. Now, so DC has a lot to learn. They need to get their stuff together. I'm not gonna totally crap on the new Batman choice because I was kind of like, it kind of felt weird whenever they did, uh, what's his name? Christopher, uh, Nolan or whatever. Is that his name? No, you think, are you thinking of, uh, yeah. Christian Bale. Yeah. I was kind of like, "Eh, I liked American psycho. I didn't know how it would be as Batman, but you never know. Uh, what's his name? Is his name Taylor Lautner? Is that the guy's name? That's going to be playing. I can't, I can't even remember. I mean, it'd be better than uh, Batflack. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was bad. That was, bad that, was a, that was really bad. And even they picked a bad Superman. I mean, I'm sorry. It just. I mean, I'm still waiting for the day Tom Windows up on the big screen. Okay. <laughs> but no, actually, um, what is it? Uh, DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Have you watched any of that? I have not. Um, I just actually started watching it, and now I'm. It's killing me because I'm trying to remember the name of the character. Uh, there's one actor that's playing that's in it, and I'm telling you, he is like the perfect choice to play Superman. You watch it, and you're like, "That's Superman." Huh. You know, it's just. But I'm having I've been having a hard time getting through it because it, I'll tell you that show is so cheesy and cornball. <laughs> you know, which sometimes I like, but other times it's kind of like really too guys much, man it's too much yeah it is it is especially for a 45 minute episode it's like mm-hmm. come on yeah. but anyways yeah anyways well do you want to go ahead and introduce our interview and we can uh move on to the second section yeah yeah i think it's time let's go ahead and uh, make a call and uh bring in our interview and get the ball rolling with that with the second half of our show all right awesome guys be sure to stick around and tune in to our special guest, David Gallagher. It's been a while since you've heard from us, but we're back for now. And today, me and Red are going to bring to you a special guest. You know, it's been a while since you've heard an interview from us. It's someone that you may be familiar with from past shows. He was the writer of The Only Living Boy, but today he's coming back as the writer of The Only Living Girl with his new book with Steve Ellis. So... For everyone at home, I'm proud to present David Gallagher. How are you doing, David? I'm doing Yay. great. Thank you guys for having me. Oh, I, I get like a little applause. It's, yay! <laughs> Thank you. I feel, I feel like there should be that Muppet Show applause in the background, you know? 
I feel like we need uh, what are, what are their names? Uh, Waller from Sadler. Why do we always come here? I guess we'll never know. Never know. It's like a kind of torture to have to watch the show. Do, do, right? do, do, do. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I missed that show. Awesome. You know, first, before we get into the story of the only living girl, because I, you know, that's the reason why we're here today. And then there's another surprise that we're going to talk about later on. But for the only living girl, um, what brought you and Steve back together to want to do, I guess this is like a sequel technically right uh we call it like a companion series um so it's sort of like um fantastic beasts somewhere to find them in relation to harry potter so it's kind of like a nice companion series that takes place sort of around the events of the only living boy um Mm -hmm. you know when steve and i were working on the only living boy which is sort of this adventure series in the spirit of like Sundar the Barbarian and Bridge to Terabithia and the Jungle Book and the Island of Dr. Moreau, like classic children's literature. We knew that there was a greater story to tell um, with um, the, with some of the characters. We knew that sort of the trajectory of where we wanted to take these characters. And in The Only Living Boy, we have this evil Dr. Moreau-like mad scientist named Dr. Once. And in the story of the only living boy, things happened to him. Uh, And um, there was an opportunity to tell a story about his daughter and what it's like to be the daughter of a mad scientist trying to redeem your father's legacy. And so that seemed to be like a really important story to tell, a story about perfectionism, a story about failure, a story about lies, a story about uh, friendship and uh, and again, adventures and monsters. So when Steve and I talked about it, we we're like, "Oh wait, wait, where, where can we take this story?" And oh my goodness, like the, our minds just sort of blew up. Um, one of the things that was um, sort of a really unique opportunity is that um, when I wrote the first outline for Only Living Boy, we we had sort of loosely talked about doing Only Living Girl. So back in 2012. But then last year, um, when we put together the Only Living Boy Omnibus and the Only Living Boy Free Comic Book Day uh, issue, we really saw all the opportunities for the story to grow uh, for the Only Living Girl and sort of lay the foundation for who these characters are, the world they live in, and, and sort of really building up this, this amazing adventure. So that was, that was really kind of a lot of fun. So that was sort of the basis for doing what we do. And, you know, Steve and I have worked together on High Moon for DC Comics um, back in the day. Uh, we've worked on Green Lantern. We've worked on Box 13 for Comixology. So for the last 12 years, we've really had a, a great partnership in creating fun, adventure-driven stories. And, and this became just a really fantastic opportunity for us to, to tell a, a great story. Very much so. And you know what? Like I said, I read through, you know, this, like, what you sent us, I read through. And I was very pleasantly surprised. Like I said, I didn't get through much of The Only Living Boy, but The Only Living Girl, what you sent us, I read it all. And I really enjoyed it. And one of the things I wanted to point out is there's a uh, quote on the book from Mark Wade saying that it, he makes a Kirby reference in it. And I was going to say, once I read through this, Dr. Once kind of gives me like a high evolutionary kind of vibe, like some Eternals, some like 
uh, Inhumans and whatnot. And there's like a lot of different vibes. But like you said, like leading up to this with The Only Living Boy, I think that was like five volumes worth of work before it came to The Only Living Girl, right? Yeah, like 420 pages. Yeah, it was a lot of it was a lot of work. So, you know, like over 12 issues worth of standard comic. Yeah, no. So, like, there's been a big lead up to this. And like I said, like, that Mark Wade quote on the back, I was like, this is, some of this is very Kirby-esque. And, but no, like, reading through this and, like, everything up to it, you have a well-established world going into this. Yeah. And and that was really key. It was really key to tell a story that had foundational experiences. And the only, the, the volume of The Only Living Girl sort of sets up, the first 13 pages sort of set up our main character, Z Parfit. Um, and sort of describe and lead into what her journey is with a lot of flash forwards and a lot of flashbacks. And it was a lot of fun to, to have something that was um, that it was a lot of fun and, and a bit of a challenge to create something that was approachable for new readers, but also didn't it wasn't redundant for people who had been following the series for a long period of time. So, um, you know, whenever you came up with you and Steve came up with the idea of uh, Only Living Girl. Uh, it's Paper Cuts that is publishing this, right? Yeah, Paper Cuts is uh, publishing, right. So whenever you approached, I guess, did Paper Cuts approach you to do this? Did you approach them? Or were they just ecstatic that you're like, okay, let's continue this? Uh, what was the story between y'all's relationship? Um, so one of the people who was wor- working at Paper Cuts at the time, um, Beth Scarazzo, uh, was uh, working at Paper Cuts, and she they were interested in doing a lot of creator-owned stuff um, because most of their stuff is licensed. You know, they work on the Smurfs and they work on Loud House, uh, and this was an opportunity for them to do something fun and creator-owned. And we worked with our agent, our literary agent Dara Hyde at Hill and the Dell Agency, and we had a lot of options uh, in terms of like other places this book could have gone, but Paper Cuts. Um, really seemed to be the best in terms of its library distribution, in terms of um, how it works and advocates for creators. And Jim Salicrup, the editor-in-chief there, you know, has a lot of background at Marvel Comics, you know, working with Todd McFarlane and, and Dave Michelini, on, like on the Spider-Man titles and the introduction of Venom. So he has a lot of editorial foresight and um and Jeff Whitman, who's the managing editor over there, they just had such a great team that it um, that it became just a, a really great opportunity to tell uh, an amazing story um, the way we wanted to tell it. Okay, I want to kind of go back uh, a little bit with uh, um, The Only Living Boy. So that had uh, the hardcover omnibus, the trade paperbacks, and, of course, the uh, free comic book day. Right. Um now, did that ever come out in um, comic book uh, form at all? Yeah, so Only Living Boy started, so for people who don't know, Only Living Boy is the story of a 12-year-old boy named Eric Farrell who runs away from home, and he finds himself um, underneath a giant rock in the middle of a rainstorm where he picks up this little teddy bear backpack. And yeah. when he wakes up from the rainstorm, he finds himself on this crazy patchwork planet with mermaid warriors, insect princesses, mad scientists, and dragons. Um, but he has like no memory of himself or, or anything else sort of coming to this world. And, um, when we first came up with the idea, I guess in 2009 is when we just debuted it as like a two page comic at San Diego Comic-Con. Um, 
then we there was enough momentum coming off of some of the other projects we were working on that it um, became this really great opportunity for us to do it as a Kickstarter. So the first issue we had done as a Kickstarter uh, in 2012, and we had done uh, six print issues of the series. So, um, and we had released them just like, you know, for conventions and stuff like that. Very like, uh, very self pub DIY kind of thing. So we had printed them up as single issue volumes, uh, put them up on Comixology, And, um, that was a lot of fun. It was just a lot of just very straightforward comic stuff. We did like little sketch covers when we went to comic conventions. And it was a lot of, it was a lot of fun, but, um, and it had really great digital distribution. But then at a certain point, we were like, you know, we really want to broaden our reach. So we had released it as a webcomic. And as a webcomic, we were able to, to get a lot of really great numbers. And we were able to use those numbers to give them to Dar to show, you know, where our audience was, which is primarily 17 to 24-year-old girls. Um, and then followed by a lot of YA middle grade, middle grade readers. And so, um, you know, so yeah, so it started as a print comic, went into being a web comic and then, um, eventually trade paperback. I'm trying to remember where did, when did, when did that uh, wrap up? That was what, 2012, 2012 is when we started as a print comic. So Uh as a Kickstarter and then. I think we wrapped it up by 2015 is when we stopped doing the individual issues and then started doing the trades. Okay. And the last issue of the trades uh, finished when? The last issue of the trades ended 20, December 2017, but the Omnibus came out last year. Okay. Um, so the Omnibus had, you know, all five volumes plus the free comic book day issue plus a 20 yeah. page bonus story. All right, cool. So basically, we have a two-year gap between the end of that story and the beginning of this new story. Yeah, like a, you know, like a six-month gap. Let's see, the yeah, about a year, about a year. About a year. So okay. Last, okay. last new material, last new material came out in the omnibus last year. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, um, and the free comic book day. That's right. Right. That's right. Exactly. So we had those two stories that came out last year. Um, the free comic book day issue, sort of gave you some insights into um, we have an evil race of scientists called the consortium and sort of gave you an insight into their master plan. And then uh, we did a nice little backstory of like sort of fills in the gaps between what happened in issue one and issue two with um, the characters, Morgan and Thea. And so uh, um, the bonus story in the back of the omnibus sort of gives you some insight into um sort of what happens in the story we have uh, in the own living boy we have a insect princess named thea who um metamorph like when they her race reaches maturity they metamorph but they're not really sure what they're going to metamorph into because they're all part of this giant hive city and when you hit maturity um whether you want to or not you are you, you are uh transformed you're metamorphed into something that serves the city so it could be uh, you could be metamorphed into a building. You could be metamorphed into a mindless drone insect that other people ride as steeds. You could be metamorphed into a, a queen to replace the old queen. There's lots of different things that you metamorph into. And it's a very apprehensive time for, for people of Thea's race. Uh, and then we have a mermaid warrior named Morgan who is very – she's from a race of pacifists uh, where all the men have been murdered – 
And uh, it's just like this race of uh, Amazonian mermaid warriors. Uh, and Morgan is like, I don't want to be eaten. <laughs> I don't want to be prey to anything. So she's very like determined to be a warrior. And the warrior code is sort of all she knows. So whereas Thea is kind of more dainty and princessy, she's got a lot of inner strength. And Morgan has kind of got a lot of outer strength, but she doesn't have a lot of uh, emotional maturity inside. So, you know, we're talking about characters and stuff. And, you know, reading through The Only Living Girl, like you said, we have Z, we have Eric, we have Morgan, Dr. Once, you know, and then a few other people that pop up. But Phaedrus, is, I think, is how you say it. Oh, I love Phaedrus. Oh, my Phaedrus gosh, is- dude. He's, oh, that was, like, the coolest character to me in the whole thing. Just the, the way he was drawn and everything. Super amazing. Yeah. So Phaedrus is kind of interesting. So, you know, Morgan is from this race of Amazonian mermaid warriors. And Phaedrus is from the Sectarans, uh, of the same race as Thea. So um, basically this this race of like gigantic, uh, powerful uh, insect warriors. Uh, and Phaedrus is sort of interesting because he's like a paladin, whereas Morgan's more like an Amazonian barbarian. And, and the, it's sort of like a very Romeo-Juliet situation. Like he's like, you know, we we follow laws here, Morgan. And at the end of The Only Living Boy, um, Morgan agrees to train. Morgan's like so good at using a bow staff. She's like super expert bow staff champion. But um, Phaedrus is like, well, maybe you could, maybe you're the best warrior of your race, but maybe you could be the best warrior of every race and train with me and I can make you make that happen. And so at the end of The Only Living Boy, they sort of begin this kind of flirty romance. and yeah, but he's kind of a badass. He lost his arm to Balakar, the bad guy from the first volume of The Only Living Boy. Um, so he's, yeah, got this definite, like, almost like Winter Soldier meets Captain America vibe. Yeah, no, definitely. He's like one of those people that stands out on your team. You know, like, uh, you think of, like, X-Men back in the day. He's kind of like your Colossus in a way, you know? The big, like, hulking dude in the back, you know? You know, he's not that big in the conqueror, but he's like your warrior. He's not a guy who's going to jump out there and fight, you know? Right. He's a very principled kind of character. And in the third volume of Only Living Boy, it's him and Morgan versus this entire, uh, like, the insect hives being invaded. And he and Morgan are fighting side by side. And Phaedrus is like, Morgan, do you have a plan? He's like, move fast and break things. He's like, well, if that doesn't work, He's, she's like, break everything. And it's just those two versus an entire swarm of monsters. And so they really have this like battle worn, tested um, relationship where they feel like they can have each other's back in uh, battles, which is cool. Very cool. So like when you're coming up with these characters and stuff, do you have like a process of like, uh, do you, I know like with me, whenever I'm writing, I'm, I'm, I don't want to compare this to you too, too much, but like, uh, you know, whenever I'm writing, you know, I sit down and I make like a bio of the character and everything. Like, what's your creative process when you're coming up with these characters? Uh, I think of characters in terms of archetypes. Okay. So I think of characters. So did you guys play Dungeons and Dragons? Oh, a yeah, long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, probably so, you know, like, Dungeons and Dragons has, <laughs> yeah, Dungeons and Dragons has certain archetypes. Right. Yeah. And you know, your adventuring party is going to need, they're probably going to need a thief. And they're probably going to need a wizard and they're probably going to need a fighter and they're probably going to need a wizard and they're probably going to need a cleric. And so in putting together um, 
a party, you, you want to think about like, what is it that these characters need to, to help the story? What if I've got who is a good foil, an emotional foil for these characters? Uh, who helps them bring the story out more? Like in, in putting characters together, you, you want to see like what characters in putting them together helps propel the story forward. So I usually think of it like in terms of archetype and then let everything else sort of fall, like everything else fall in there. Because you can be like, you know what our team really needs? It's sort of like a superhero team, right? Every superhero team probably has a speedster. They probably have somebody who's super strong. They probably have a leader. They probably have like a, uh, you know, some sort of um, energy using super flying person. They maybe have somebody who shrinks. Uh, so it, it's really sort of putting together a, a party that makes sense. Very cool. You know, everyone needs their little, like, uh, their group or whatever. And like you said, everyone has their own role and everything. But, um, you know, kind of going back a little bit to the, the story itself, um, and then I guess the character design and stuff, between you and Steve, like, when you're coming up with creative ideas and stuff, is it usually you being like, hey, let's try this, and you bounce it off of him and see what he says? Or what's y'all's creative process when working on these pages? Generally, I will come up with an idea. I will bounce it off Steve, and then we'll, we'll go back and forth. So I'll be like, Steve, hey, we really need this kind of character in the story. And then Steve and I talk about what those visuals are going to be like. And I might have something super crude. For story purposes, like, I think when I came up with Phaedrus, I'm like, I need a, I, I, so I'll come up with a name, I'll come up with sort of an archetype, and I'll be like, uh, and then I'll come up with something that's story-related about who they are. So, for example, with Phaedrus, I was like, um, I need uh, I need a character who is kind of a, a, a paladin, who is is more like a, like a prince-like paladin-like character who's lost his arm to Balakar. Um, who is battle wizened, uh, and, and is kind of handsome. And, and Steve's like, well, how about this? And so when he designed Phaedrus, he wanted to give him sort of this like Ronin samurai look, which look came across looking really great. So Phaedrus has got like missing an eye. So he's got this cool, like little eye thing going on. He's got, um, he's got this cool eye thing, this weird, like extra sensory, super eye patch thing. Um, and then he's got, uh, you know, he's missing an arm and we're able to sort of build the character from there. So with Morgan, I think I was originally like, I want somebody who like looks like she studies capoeira and carries a bow staff and is kind of like a tomboy, almost like a, a little bit Han Solo in terms of like her doesn't play by the rules sort of character. And we're able to really bring that out. So I was going to ask, you know, I've had the privilege of going to like the first two uh, chapters now. Um, how much do you have out? How much do you have written? And how far um, do you think you'll be going with this one? For The Only Living Girl, we um, it's going to be five volumes. Okay. Uh, and then probably an omnibus after that. Um, but it's definitely got um, the potential to really sort of build it out from there. We're talking about, I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. But I'm working on volumes two and three now. Uh, okay. Volume two will be out at the end of the year. Volume three, the start of next year. Um, and then um, from there, it's really sort of 
you know, we may do a follow-up. We've talked about it being a, a, a trilogy. Um, mm-hmm. You know, only living boy, only living girl, only living blank. Uh, I don't want to spoil it. But, only, uh, only living dog? No, there's no <laughs> dog. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, like one of the through lines through the, the both, both of the series is the stuffed bear um, that Eric has in volume one and Z has in the new mm-hmm. series. So it's been a lot of fun to um, to use that and even see the stuffed bear as a character and, and see how it grows and changes in, in the series. Yeah, it's kind of curious. Though. As I'm reading through it, I see, uh, you know, Doc put in that uh, thumb drive into the uh, the bear backpack and... I never saw anything else about that through the first two uh, uh, stories. I'm like, I, I, I'm assuming that's going to be coming up back later on. So in volume, so uh, uh, spoilers for the only living boy. People haven't read it. So, uh, <laughs> so in volume one, in volume one, you know, it sets up the scenario. Only living boy, prisoner of the patchwork planet. We set up. We meet the characters. We meet Thalakar, who's this chimerical dragon. Uh, we meet Dr. Once, we meet the consortium, the evil, the evil scientists, evil alien scientists, and we meet all the characters. In volume two, uh, you know, they're everybody's just trying to survive in volume one. In volume two, um, they um everybody's imprisoned and they there's a prison break and they just want to get Thea, the insect princess, back to the hive city. Yeah. So yeah, Eric accidentally threw a series of events. Accidentally leads the bad guys to the hive city. Um, the bad guys want the hive city because it has the power of the chrysalis, which is this ability to, uh, I mentioned before, sort of give people the ability to metamorph. Uh, Balakar, the ancient dragon creature that's in the first volume of the series, is a chimera. He is an animal made of... Uh, hundreds of thousands of other animals and he's in constant pain and he's always shape-shifting and shifting his body into different forms that he's made of um, but he can only hold those forms for so long and he wants to not be in constant agony because his body's always shifting so uh, Balakar can shape-shift into like weird growling rat creatures and into vaguely humanoid creatures into all sorts of things so Balakar but Balakar's body is in constant pain um so they, the bad guys invade the hive city. Uh, they're eventually foiled, but uh, Eric is captured. And then Eric's mind is like probed. And we learn about why Eric uh, ran away from home um, because Eric was indirectly responsible for this girl named Z getting hit by a car. And she dies. And uh, it traumatizes him. And uh, he has a lot of grief and a lot of trauma. Um, and he never feels like anybody ever listens to his problems. Um, and everyone tries to medicate him when he's really just trying to say like, look, I just want to talk to people, but nobody ever wants to listen to him. Um, so it becomes this Eric's grief becomes super compounded. Um, so we learned that in the third volume of the only living boy in, in the volume called once upon a time, we learn Eric's trauma. We learn his past. Um, in, in that process, Eric is able to, uh, he's being interrogated by Dr. Once and Eric is able to, uh, change the memory, the memory machine to make it read Dr. Once's thoughts. And Dr. Once 
is actually um, this girl who died. He's dad. Um, and he uh, was, a, was a physicist. And he was really into um, building all these kind of crazy um, things about quantum physics and stuff. So when he loses his daughter, he, he totally gets obsessed and spends his lifetime um, building a teletransportation machine to see if he can find his daughter in all these other different worlds. Um, in trying to, uh, trying to do that, he raises the attention of the consortium. The consortium were like, look, we have your daughter. We have been able to, uh, we don't know whether it's going to be resurrection or whatever that's for later, but we have your daughter. She's here. Um, and, uh, we've got her in this, this test tube thing. <laughs> work for us and build us a God and we will, uh, we will give you access to your daughter. It'll be great. So he builds this, Dr. Woods builds this God dragon thing called Balakar. It's patchwork monster. Um, and then Balakar is like, well, I'm not comfortable in this world. Make a world that is, that looks and feels like the way that I feel. So, uh, Dr. Woods builds a giant planet that is ripped from hundreds of other alien worlds. And it creates the planet that the characters are on now. The patchwork planet, also called Chimerica. Uh, so he builds this gigantic patchwork planet. And um, in the process of doing that, Dr. Doctor Parfit uh, rebels. And Balakar throws him into a machine. And, and throwing him into a machine, his body is ruined. The consortium rebuilds him into this grotesque monster, Dr. Once. Um, but before they do that, Dr. Parfit puts his, tries to, at the last minute, before he actually builds this machine and is thrown into the crazy contraption thing, uh, tries to download his daughter into this disk drive and hide it into a bear, thinking that they can escape somewhere. Um, But the bear gets teleported, Dr. Once doesn't, he becomes the monster. Um, And that's that's sort of the premise for um, Dr. Once's origin story and Eric's origin story. And it sort of catapults from there. I don't want to give too much more away um, because there's two other volumes after that. But that's sort of the deep, dark secret of Dr. Once's origin, uh, the thumb drive inside the bear, and Eric and his story. Okay, cool. I guess I uh, missed something or I just don't remember. <laughs> no, well, I mean, there's two other, vo- there's two other yeah. volumes of the series. So what yeah. happens is um, what happens is Eric has the thumb drive. Uh, inside of Bear, he finds he learns about it in volume, volume three. He uh, has the Bear with him in volume four. He has the Bear with him in volume five. Um, and then Only Living Girl starts with the Z, Dr. Once's daughter, being there. And we, we sort of set it up in the like first 13 pages of The Only Living Girl about, um, about Z and her origin and, and how she came to be in this world. So cool. You know, you gave us like a really good, like, you know, backstory up to this and everything else. Um, you know, we kind of got an idea of what the only living girl's about, how it's set up and everything. Um, you, you know, it's really convincing. I mean, like if you aren't taking his word right now that, you know, you're not interested, you need to try the book because it's really good. But before you can try the book, uh, David, um, when and where can uh, someone get the only living girl and read it? 
So the All Living Girl is available on Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble, your local uh, area comic book shop, or local independent bookstore. Very cool. Very, cool. very cool. I love that people can buy it at Target. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that is that, nice. It's not something you hear very often, you know. Uh, I remember back in the day, you could go and you could see the digest right next to the, uh, the counter, or sometimes in the magazine section, you saw comics and stuff. You don't really see that too much. You'll maybe see an Archie or something by the counter now or something, or maybe a Batman or some kind of DC special. But the fact that we're getting independent comics still going up in the, you know, places like Target, that's a really cool thing, man. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and one of the things that's really nice about The Only Living Girl, I, I find, is that, you know, the the first 13 pages of the series sort of tell you everything you need to know about Z, you know, about her relationship with her dad, about how she grew up sort of in this very protectivist. Her father was very protectivist. And you learn a lot about her and her origins and what drives her and motivates her. And I think that that's really important. Like, I think it's really important to create, like Eric's story, Eric Farrell's story in The Only Living Boy was about, you know, finding confidence to persevere in the face of adversity. Where Z's is a lot um, a lot more nuanced. It's about sort of defying expectations and living up to expectations, but also not um, being a victim of perfectionism. You know, I think it's really easy for kids, especially girls, um, to be hit with all these different um, these different messages about growing up. You know, uh, about what girls should be, and I think it, this this story I think is really good opportunity to sort of address some of those themes. Is there any one last thing that you want to say about the only living girl before we go on to your next big announcement secret? Yeah, I think that it's, uh, I think it, if you've got kids uh, or nieces or nephews uh, who are really into high adventure series, I think this is a lot of this series is a lot of fun. Uh, um, and I think it, it's, um, it's nice to have a series about, a, sorry about that. That's a, that's a horn honking. Uh, it's really nice to, to write a series that is really an action-adventure-driven series, I think, that defies expectations, that deals with science, that deals with, um, you know, our protagonist is a, uh, is a girl of color. Um, she's incredibly smart, but she's definitely, like, very nuanced uh, kind of character. And if you're looking for something that's really diverse, that speaks to some really important themes about growing up, I think it's a great book to check out. It definitely is. From what yeah, I agree. I, I mean, like I said, highly recommended on my end. Only Living Girl by David Gallagher and Steve Ellis from Paper Cuts. Check it out. Go find it. Google it. It's not going to be something that you're going to regret. So, all right, David. So moving on from The Only Living Girl, you say that you have another project that you're working on, and it's something completely different from comics or whatever, but um, it, it's really kind of something that's unique but i'm gonna go ahead and let you go ahead and reveal the big secret or whatever tell everyone what's the new project that you're working on so i'm one of the writers on the new tom clancy game uh ghost recon breakpoint so it's a sort of a first person shooter game for uh, ubisoft very cool so you know i myself 
not very familiar with, you know, like the process of writing for a video game. You know, I honestly don't know much about it. I don't think I've ever talked to many people that have done this before. Um, how long have you been working for the company and on this game? And then uh, what was the process like getting into this role? How'd you land this gig? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I've been working on the game for about a year since June of, uh, since, yeah, June 4th of last year. So just a little bit over a year. Um, and it's been a, just an incredibly rewarding process. Uh, it's interesting how I got involved. Um, so a couple years ago, at a signing in Harrison, New York, somebody who I, uh, my brother went to uh, elementary school with had remembered me and was at my, my signing. And he was like, hey, can we, you sign a Green Lantern and the only living uh, the only living boy for me. Sure. No problem. And then last year, like out of the blue, he randomly called me and said, David, I'm working on this game. I can't tell you anything about it, but are you interested? Um, you know, we have a lot of success bringing on comic book writers and script writers and screenplay writers to work in these games because they think so visually. And, um, yeah, so my friend Louis Manalo had had set it up for me, and and like literally within a week, uh, I was writing stuff for um, writing stuff for the game. Very cool. That's pretty cool. I was gonna say Tom Clancy's like Ghost Recon is like a well-established game franchise as well. Like all the Tom Clancy games, going you have your Rainbow Sixes and everything else. Um, but you know, Ghost Recon, I remember going like. In 2004, like playing Ghost Recon, like Island Thunder and stuff on Xbox Live with friends and everything. So hearing you bring it back up, especially when I guess, you know, Ghost Recon has had its ups and downs over the years and stuff. Uh, but someone I know is working on a Ghost Recon game, man. Has that kind of like hit you or in any kind of way? Because, I mean, Ghost Recon's a really big name in the game world. Yeah, so it, it's really interesting. So, you know, I'm a Tom Clancy fan. And uh, I also worked, you know, for five years for the New York City Police Department before I, you know, started working on High Moon. And so I have a lot of experience sort of talking tactically and, and really thinking about strategy and stuff like that. So I was able to bring some of those experiences to this game, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, I forget, um, because I don't play a lot of video games, how incredibly massive the fan base is. So this week at E3, a bunch of, uh, and I can't speak too much to it because there are a lot of secrets that they're going to reveal at E3 this week in LA, but um, I can't speak a lot to that. But I can say that I forget how incredibly massive and passionate the, the audience for these games are. And I'm super stoked. Uh, we did a, a worldwide event um like worldwide live stream of this game, uh, like the broadcast of what the game was and everything like that, showing gameplay footage that everybody lo logged into from around the country. I mean, around the world, rather. So I think there were like over 14 million people on the live stream looking at oh, this wow. game footage. Wow. Uh, from around the world, which is that's crazy, cool. crazy to me. Um, <clears throat> I mean, that's crazy. So, uh, without giving too much of the the game away, I can say that the the bad guy you're you're playing, uh, you're you're against is uh, voiced uh, and modeled off of John Barenthal from uh, Punisher from Netflix's Punisher. 
very cool. Wow. Uh, yeah, and it takes place on this giant remote island, um, which is sort of created by, it's got all this super cool, advanced technology, sort of building a, an island paradise. Um, so it's, so you as the main character are there uh, in this crazy technological paradise amidst all these, so it's like these, so if like you took Star Labs from uh, DC Comics and put it right on a like on Hawaii or this giant plush island, it's cool. It's got this very like lost, mysterious island kind of feel to it. So it's a uh, it's a lot of fun without giving too much away. I'm I'm super stoked to be a part of it. And I've got a bunch of questions for you now. So your prep work for some of this? Did you go through some of the Tom Clancy books? Played some of the old games? Um, what helped uh, give you some uh, inspiration for creating the storyline for this? So uh, some of the storyline when I got to the when I got to the game, some of the storyline was already provided. Like the main mm-hmm. the main quest was already done. So a lot of the side missions um, I got to design and write, um, and all of those play into the main quest. Um, mm-hmm. And it's all super collaborative. So it's not just me; it's me and a bunch of other writers. Um, but they gave us a list of, of things to sort of as uh, when they put together a design document, they um, put together a list of like reference points. So they go like Patriot Games, Jack Ryan, the new Amazon series, uh, G.I. Joe, Greatest American Hero, Nick Fury. So you're, you're drawing from these like really kind of pseudo militaristic thrillers. Um and it, that's a lot of fun. So you, you, I was able to go back and watch old episodes of G.I. Joe. I was able to go back and play some of the old Tom Clancy games and, and really look at other things that sort of inspired me um, and, and really draw from that well. So, you know, like the uh, Captain America Winter Soldier, you know, things that have these really cool espionage themes and deep military secrets. And, yeah, it was a lot of fun to pull from that. That so basically, they gave you a, they, they, yeah. it sounds like they gave you a general guidelines and then you got a creative control over what to do um, based off of what they wanted. Is what I, is that basically? Yeah, so, uh, yeah, well, it's they give you a design document and they say, this is the main mission. Uh, these are the, the other smaller missions. Uh, these are the main quests. These are, so uh, without getting too, I don't want to sort of violate any stuff. Mm-hmm. So no, we need, yeah. dance around it. But what will happen is they will they will propose something. Uh, I will write to that. I'll write like a little outline. Uh, I'll create the characters that we're going to use. Some of the characters are like, you know, they're fun little like characters. So if they're like, uh, you know, uh, we need a bartender. I'll be like, I'm going to name this bartender, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's cool to name characters and have them be like named prominent characters in the game. It's fun to describe what the characters look like and write out their bios and give them backstories that become part of the main missions. So that's a lot of fun. So there's, um, you know, they have this, this really great outline and then we, as the writers sort of build it out. Sort of like a writer's room in a TV show, you know, they give you sort of a, a nutshell. And then from there you're like, Oh, well, what if we do it like this? And what if we have this crazy thing come in? And then, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. It's very collaborative, but it's it's unlike writing a comic. Well, like writing a comic, it's very collaborative. But here we're working with narrative designers and we're working with 
game designers, I'm working with level designers, I'm working with a whole narrative team. Um, and it, it's fun to come up with things that, um, that sort of add to this giant tapestry, you know, like I am one piece of this, this giant fabric that makes this game. And there, there are pieces of the game. Like I, I think I've, well, I've written a lot of content. Over, over <laughs> cool. Um, but you know, like, um, it's nice to to have that opportunity to really breathe life into a lot of these designs and, and see them played out and to get the um, get the animatics. So, like, even after I've written the stuff, I don't know what it looks like until they come back with the renders and then they show me the renders and I'm like, oh my god, I wrote that. That is so <laughs> cool. That is so cool. Yeah, to see characters like watching and to know that millions of people will be like looking at something that I wrote and being like, that's a character I remember, you know, it, it's cool to, to be a part of, to, to have that. I don't know. Writing a video game is so unlike the, the best I can describe it as, is like writing a really, really in-depth role-playing game. Okay. Um, but unlike role-playing game where you're like, as a you guys play Dungeons and Dragons, not for a while, right? Yeah. Yeah. So in Dungeons and Dragons, you, you, um, obviously, or any role playing game, you know, your players all have different levels. So you're a thief, you're a druid, you're a cleric, you're a mage, or whatever. You, you know, every, every time you fight monsters, you kind of level up. You're like, I'm level one, I'm level two, whatever. So one of the things that's really interesting about writing a video game is that it's got so many different levels that every character is on there. Every character in the game levels up. So every character in the game has their own process of reaching their, their goals. So when so it's very interesting to see and think about even the bartender who's serving you drinks or the piano player or the, the janitor at the, the filling station, like everybody's got their own heroic journey in this game. And so it's interesting to think about it in such a, think about the story in such a complex layered way. You know, you never think about, you never think about like the Hydra agent who, is, who gets his ass kicked by Captain America and what his goals are. Did he go to college? What does he really aspire to do? Does he want to, is he in Hydra because he's just biding time and he's really wants to be an evil terrorist or did he have dreams and did he have aspirations? Is he in Hydra, you know, paying for grad school, you know, or is he in Hydra as rebellion to his parents? And what happens, you know, what happens after he gets his ass kicked by Captain America? Does he get drummed out of Hydra? Does he get killed? Does he leave Hydra? What becomes his story? But it's it's interesting to think about non-player characters or, or like NPCs in such a profound way. I gotta ask. I'm just real curious. Have you spent any time in like any of the uh, chat rooms, like a, as just lurking to draw inspiration from? No. No. <laughs> 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 no, I try to be really, really, I really kind of want to write in a vacuum um, uh -huh. and work with my team because I don't want to um, have what other people, especially fans, um, say about the game because I don't want it to either 
negatively influence or positively influence the stuff. And I didn't even know what the game was called until we launched. Okay. <laughs> so they didn't even tell us what the name was. And they're like, you're working on No, it was under secret. We had secret names for it. So I, oh, wow. uh, yeah, but it was, it's super secret, super, super secret. So um, I didn't even know what the game was called until launch, um, which is great. Ubisoft is really, really important. It, like keeps that stuff super under wraps. So, um, but no, I, I, I didn't even know. I didn't even know when the game was coming out. They, they keep us in the dark. It's sort of like the Marvel, the way that the Marvel ninjas work for the Marvel Universe movies. Gotcha. So when did the game uh, come out? It comes out October 4th. It's available on Xbox, uh, PlayStation 4, uh, and a bunch of other different platforms. Very and you guys, you guys should check out the trailer. It uh, Ghost Recon Breakpoint. It is pretty awesome. I'm definitely going to do that. Yeah, and you said there's some uh, E3 news coming out this week too. I mean, right, right. So we'll be on the lookout for that too at E3, and um, you know, maybe uh, hopefully we'll even see some uh, game gameplay with some of uh, your writing and stuff in it. I would be. Super stoked because now you got me super curious. I didn't even know that Ghost Recon new game was coming out or anything. But the yeah. fact that it's someone that the podcast can call a friend that is doing it makes it that much more exciting. Yeah, and you yep. guys should follow Ghost Recon on uh, Twitter and on Facebook. Very, yeah. very cool. Do that. Cool. So when you're not uh, playing the game, you can read one of your books. <laughs> That's right. And I had so many books for people to read from Green Lantern to High Moon to Only Living Girl. But yeah, I think it'll be a lot of fun. Very much so. So, you know, we're getting here to almost the hour mark. We've talked about the Only Living Girl. We've talked about Ghost Recon now. Is there any other maybe things coming out that we should be expecting from you soon? Any little things you may want to give us the scoop on before we end this? <laughs> that you're allowed to? <laughs> no, 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 but, but there uh, is, there is something. We know it. <laughs> I, I just, I'm super excited about all the projects we're working on. <laughs> <laughs> well, stay tuned to Four Guys in Comic, and uh, you can find out here in the near future. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But you know what, David? It's been great having you on today to talk about the Only Living Girl, you know, the Only Living Boy leading up to it, and the Ghost Recon news. Now, you know, hopefully, this is what, like our second or third time interviewing you? I think it's like the second. Yeah, it's second? I think it's the second time you've been on yeah. this It's not going to be the yeah. last. Trust us. You, you're, yeah. you know. Like I said, we like you, so uh, hopefully you'll come back. And we'll, keep you yeah, we'll keep you around. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Hey, no well, problem. Thank you for being here. Yeah, so, no. uh, thanks again for coming on the show. Like I said, be sure to check out The Only Living Girl with from Paper Cuts with David Gallagher and Steve Ellis. You can find it. Apparently, you can even find stuff for it at Target. So, I mean, there's no... Excuses. No excuse. No excuse. It's it should be pretty easily available to find. If not, you always got your Amazons and everything else. Um, and then you know we got our Ghost Recon coming up, and uh, hopefully more David uh, soon here on Four Guys in a Comic. 